Hey, Culture Hackers, it's Robbie Richmond here. We have a really special episode today because we are going all the way across the pond to the UK for this one um, with Mark McCurgow. This is, you know, I was just thinking about this on the way in today. And um, Mark, do you know the band Green Day? Have you heard of them? I have heard of the band Green Day. I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, it's a, a bit past my time, but uh, they have some cool tracks. Yeah. So, so. I, I started listening to them. I, it was like early, early '90s, and nobody knew about them. And my brother told me about them, and we were like, "Oh, this is so cool! This is great!" And it was kind of our thing. And yeah. then, you know, later they really exploded. And it was cool. I'm glad, and I still like them. But I kind of look back on that time, and I feel like you know I was on the in. I really knew, and that's how I feel talking to you. It's like you're you're not like the world famous leadership level, but you are like that caliber. And I feel like I'm discovering you before you're at that like major level. Okay, so you got in right on the ground floor, Robbie. That's the that's the good news. Yes, and our listeners do too for yeah. being tuned into it. So I, I'm excited. Me too. Me too. And uh, and uh, we have all sorts of cool stuff that we can talk about over the next forty minutes or so. Yeah, totally. So you know what we do is we just we just talk. We'll we'll start in on some of the stuff that I think is really relevant, and then we'll. Um, We'll see where the conversation goes from there. What I want you guys listening to know about what Mark's up to that is just so cool. I mean, honestly, his perspective on a lot of things is cool. So we're just going to start with one that's his thing, but I'm sure we'll get into all kinds of other conversation. Um, But it's his book and theory hosts leadership, which blew my mind when I heard it on stage at first because – he explained this idea that I'm gonna I'm gonna say just the intro to it and then we'll talk from there, which is that the the old school world is based on heroic leadership of management where the leader has to be the hero um, and take care of everything. It's kind of military. Let's go in and save the day and let's be all individually responsible and be heroes versus the other side, which is the service leadership model where everybody's saying, oh, we need to be of service to our teams, to our customers, etc." And they seem like they're at odds. In fact, I've been in organizations where, you know, one, Zappos can be a very service leadership oriented company, but then Apple can be a very much a heroic type of, of, of culture. And they seem almost at odds. But um, Mark, you solved that. Well, I've certainly got a perspective on it. Yeah. And I think it helps people see uh, a new way of leadership very quickly and very clearly. And as you said, Robbie, it's the metaphor of leading as a host, leading as a host rather than a hero or a servant. And a host, as I'm sure people will know, is defined as somebody who receives or entertains guests. Yes. So we've all been hosts. We've all invited people around to our, you know, for dinner or, or a party or something like that. And it struck me. I heard this, this old Arabic proverb. It was said to me nearly 12 years ago now. This German professor guy in the middle of a seminar said, there's an old Arabic proverb. He said, the host is both the first and the last. <laughs> the host is both the first and the last. And I thought, that's the leader, isn't it? is both the first and the last. And I stopped listening to his very clever seminar. I started thinking about this idea of leadership um, uh, metaphors. And the hero leader is always the first. The first in, uh, the first with the ideas, the one who steps forward, the one who jumps in. And the servant leader is very often the last, is leading from behind, is clearing things up, is making sure that everything is sorted out. And the host, I think, does this fantastic job 
of stepping forward and back and being the first and being the last and taking responsibility and acting in service to people and being in charge of things and yet their role in being in charge of things is to make sure that everybody else is having a good time, has the stuff that they need, uh, is has the freedom to get on with the things that they want to do. And while hosting is a really everyday metaphor, it's a thing that we always are all very accustomed to, actually when you start to unpick what hosts really do, what good hosts really do, you discover there's many, many layers of richness uh, and subtlety and sophistication and this dance of forward and back. Yeah. That, that so, we, all, we all know about this thing, but we can spend, uh, we can really usefully think about it and refine our awareness and develop our skills in this area. And that makes you a really, really effective leader. Totally. Well, I think, I think, I think of it as an idea whose time has come because we're living in this networked age of the internet. Everything is networked together. There's a lot more collaboration than was ever possible. I know teams that are working across the globe with each other and finding it very fulfilling. Um, it seems like the technology is driving us to really do more collaboration and work in teams and be networks. And so it's kind of this, this idea of, of forming a party intentionally and yeah. so it, it, it seems like this, this analogy, this metaphor, this, this mental model that you've constructed is, it's, it's like it's time has come. Yeah, and it's all about, when you have a party, you don't instruct people to come to it, do you? No. That would be a strange kind of party. You invite them. So this idea of leadership very much fits with what we're seeing at the moment in terms of flatter structures, much more leading by influence rather than leading by hard power and position and all of that thing and organizations are forming teams much more quickly project-based stuff agile working you know with very quick turnarounds and uh, and so forth and this all plays into this idea of the leader is the one who brings people together and makes sure they have what they need to do the thing rather than the leader is the one who does the thing yeah if that makes any sense yeah but it's also the leader does do the thing sometimes right that, right. So one of our one of the things I discovered about about hosting, and I spent twelve years uh, having heard this old Arabic proverb, <laughs> twelve years researching what do good hosts do by going around and interviewing them and, and and interviewing hosts and leaders and figuring this out is that good hosts, of course, also join in with their parties. You know, you invite people around for for dinner in your house and you serve them food and you serve them first, but you eat the same food. Yeah, and this is an incredibly powerful leadership idea, which is you are both in charge of it and you're in it. You're one of it. You're doing all those things. Now, maybe you're not doing them quite the same or quite as often or whatever as everybody else, but you are definitely one of the group. The leadership is not an excuse to, to kind of get rid of yourself from the group. On the contrary, it's a, a real need to see your position as one of the people as well as in charge of the people. Yeah. So what are you seeing, whether it be in the news media or in business books or in your own uh, teaching environments, examples of this where people, they like they get it. When they see it in, 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 in either a leader they know or a famous leader you know of or, or a company you know of? Yes. Well, one of the exciting things, uh, Robbie, is that this seems to speak to a certain kind of quite large group of people. And they aren't always the people who are currently at the top of organizations, although occasionally they are. 
they're very often people who are working in the middle of an organization mm. and are struggling away to think how uh, and are find, looking for a way to voice what they would like to do. And they find in host leadership this way of that brings together uh, a whole bunch of great ideas that kind of resonates with them very strongly. And I was talking to a, a woman last week who's working in a university here. And she says, oh, wow, oh, wow, this is what, I, what I've been doing is, is a thing. And now I can tell my manager it's a thing. And I can help him to uh, understand what I'm doing. And I can get better at what I'm doing because I've discovered host leadership. It's not just me. It's a thing. And I think this may be the stage that we're reaching now, that uh, host leadership is starting very, very, very much at the beginning of becoming a thing, uh, as people say these days. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, what I what I like about it, too, is that it can become very experiential. I didn't, I didn't teach any kind of leadership, basically at all, because my philosophy on it was that there's very little I can teach, and to learn it, you just got to do it, and you got to lead, and that's how you learn to become a leader. It's almost like you're not a leader until you do the thing that be makes you become a leader. So I was very hesitant to teach it, but then I was over here at um, at AJU, American Jewish University, and I was chairing the business program, and then they gave me a, a class to teach, and I thought, okay, this, you know, I had just read your book, and I thought, okay, this is an opportunity to test that out, and I, I taught them about the principles. They read some of the book. Um, we went over other things like leadership philosophies. One of them that I taught them that I thought was really powerful is, is the one from Good to Great that says a leader um, gives credit to the team when things go well and takes responsibility when things go badly. And yep. so we taught them this philosophy, and we taught them the, the, the host leadership, and then I said to them, okay, guys. You were going to throw an event. I'm not going to tell you what kind of event. You do whatever kind of event you want. Invite whoever you want. You just got to do this and execute it on it. And these are college students. You know, they hadn't really um, done anything like this before. And I said, you got to work as a team. And, um, you know, I, I can share some, some things that happened along the way. But long story short is at the end of it, they just had this, oh, my God, like we can do this. We thought this, like yes. we can really do this. Yes, yes. That's it. We can really do this. And once you start to unpack uh, all this information that we have about how to be a great host, in particular our six roles of engagement, as I call them. It's not rules of engagement. Mm -hmm. uh, the book is called, by the way, everyone, Host, Six New Roles of Engagement. And uh, then the title is Rules of Engagement, and the rules is crossed out, and roles is written in over the top. Yes. Because rules is something that you have to do all the time. You have to follow. But a role is something that you can step in and out of. And, and you step into it when it's needed. And then you step out of it and you step into another role. And so in this decade or so of research about what a great host do, I discovered one of the things they do is they get very aware about different situations and what needs to happen next. And so what you do is not always the same thing. It depends on what's going on. But there are these six roles we've identified, which are easy to learn uh, in the book, that, that immediately give you a kind of really comprehensive toolkit of things to be aware of, ways you might act, ways you might uh, um, be, things you might look out for. And, of course, we're always starting on the basis of people who already, at some level, know how to be a host. They, because, you know, hey, in my country anyway... Even when you're eight, you have birthday party and your friends come around and you have, you know, games and tea and 
jelly and you know cakes and all that stuff um and even then um uh you know you you're aware of what makes a good party and what doesn't at the at the age of 8 yeah so so you talking about your college students yeah of course they've never done anything like it only they have a bit <laughs> so we're always starting from not scratch with this people always have something to start with and that's why i think people find it so encouraging they recognize a piece of themselves in this model and then they get very quickly the tools to go further and expand their awareness yeah it's great and you know i so I, I gave them that assignment and they, they ran with it and I told them to divide up into the roles and divide up into um, what, what roles they're going to take. And, and they were going through the weeks and it's an interesting dynamic teaching college kids because they, um, they're, they just want to graduate in a lot of ways. They just kind of want to figure out, okay, how do I get my grade? How do I get my A? How do I move on to the next thing? I want to get out into the real world. So they're not as driven as some, you know, an entrepreneur who paid money to come in and learn what I have to say. And, um, and so at one point, there was a real point where I thought this, this project was going to just go totally south because we, had, we used Kanban as a method, like an agile method to track the tasks and things were getting done, but some people were working, some people weren't, and morale was kind of going down and the, the, the party was just a few weeks away. And I noticed it, and I said, you know what, I can't, I can't motivate them. I can't not acknowledge this either. So I said, all right, Let's go around the table from mark your excitement of this, this event from zero to 10. And they went around and they were like six, five, four, eight, five, six. And I was like, wow, you know, you, okay, let's just, let's just all acknowledge right now that we're feeling lukewarm about this event. <laughs> and then in a real risk of a move, I just said, honestly, guys, I don't care. You want to cancel this? Cancel it. You want to do it? Do it. Now this is, this is a point. You, you're, you're going to decide. And there was a lot of silence. And there was a lot of silence. And I said, um, you know, I just sat back. And it was hard to hold the space and just be okay with whatever comes up. Because like you said, it's invitation. And I was inviting them. And I kept teaching them the principles of invitation. So if I was going to say, okay, guys, get your crap together and do this, I would violate my own principles and the principles <laughs> in the book. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, Robbie. It's a really important point. Soft power we talk about in the book and uh, the idea of giving space to people to make their choice. And the advantage of that, as you discovered, is that when they, make, when they decide to do something, they've already committed a piece of themselves in it. Yes. Whereas if you tell them to do it, they go, yeah, yeah, all right, boss, okay. And, but they're not committed. They're kind of just trying to do just enough, just enough to get through. Whereas you invite right. and you reach out a hand and you say, look, guys, this is the thing we're planning to do. Are you in or not? Yes. Uh, and then you wait. Um, and, and you wait for them to make the choice. And something I learned when I was writing the book was uh, I interviewed a very wonderful lady, Lynn Twist. Yes, who, love Lynn. Who uh, you know as well. And uh, Lynn's a fab fabulous organizer, founder of the co-founder of the Pachamama Alliance, doing a lot of great work about environmental sustainability and, and so forth. And she said, right on the money, um, uh, for there to be the possibility of a yes, there also has to be the possibility of a no. Mm, wow, what a great quote. And, uh, you know, to get a real yes, you have to have the chance of a no. Yeah? Um, and I think that this is, this is something that leaders learn about um, and know how to use. And it's why when the army wants, has a really tough job, they ask for volunteers. Mm. Yeah? 
it's exactly that thing. Um, and they don't do it because, because you can't order people. They do it because they know that the commitment you get from that uh, is just worth so much. Wow. I didn't know that about the Army, and that makes so much sense. And I, I was at a big company recently that I can't name, but they were telling me on the side that they're doing reorgs every week shifting around teams where the teams don't have choice or say in which ones they're going to work with, and they're breaking up really strong teams because they say, oh, we need all this these resources, like people are resources, uh, to put onto this project as if breaking up a strong team isn't going to have any consequences. Mm, well, it's, you know, this way, these ways of reorganizing uh, organizations um, by assigning people, this is, as you say, this is um, uh, an old model. And I'm, I'm much more aware now of the, the power you get with choice, the power you get. And that's not to say the choice is boundless. Yeah. You can say to people, look, we need to get this done and that done and that done. Now, who's going to go where? Um, it's not just you do what the hell you like kind of thing. Right, uh, right. There's but but you, can, you can give people choices. And it's surprising when, when offered that choice, how easy many people find it to make those choices. And I find all the time when I do these kind of things, when I'm facilitating or consulting with organizations, people, people make the right choices again and again and again. And by the way, here's another little tip, uh, all you would-be host leaders out there listening. Um, it's okay for people to change their minds sometimes too. Mm. Uh, we're, we're very, we get locked into this, you make a choice and then you stick by it, right? Because that's what great heroes do. Only we're not being heroes, we're being hosts. So if somebody has turns out that they made a bad choice, you know, they chose team X and they'd now much rather be in in team Y and that's going to be okay and you know, then then we can help them to to move across. Uh one of my other mantras I use uh, is that change is happening all the time. Mm. Change is happening all the time. It's a kind of a bit of a Buddhist idea I suppose, but <laughs> but it's something that we're we're well I'm not Buddhist remotely, but I, I it's something that I'm just constantly aware of is how we think things are stable but actually they're changing all the time wow and therefore any choice you make may be subject to change yes uh, and as a leader you're very very well be uh, advised to be aware of how things are changing and how people want to respond to that change yes yeah and giving people freedom to choose and move where, where it's where it's possible and encouraging that because um, if people feel they're stuck, then they'll start to fight. Right. Even if they would, even if they don't mind being in that place, they start to fight. Whereas if they if they think, well, I could, I'm here, and it's okay, and I could be over there. Well, actually, this is all right at the moment. You know, if they know they have the choice, then you can stick it longer. It's like uh, it's the same as giving people choice over their pain medication. Where you have, um, I work sometimes with doctors and groups of people who are working with people in very serious pain. And uh, it turns out that if you put people in charge of their own pain medication, they use much less of it, much less pain medication, mm. rather than just taking, you know, a shot every four hours or something. Oh, that's such they, a good idea. They, they manage their, their own situation and they use less of the drugs. Wow. Yeah, by having the choice. Totally. Um, so it's, uh, you know, that's, that's a sort of rather stark example. But this idea of giving people choice within this framework of what we're trying to do as an organization is, is such a key thing, and you get so much back from it, I think. Totally. And to wrap up that story, I, you know, holding that space, everybody being silent, 
it was it surprised I was so scared because I thought okay I need them all to really rally here and charge up and nobody was and what surprised me about it is this one woman in the class she just said where's the where's the sticky note paper and she grabs it and she starts taking charge of the meeting and says we need we've got these 30 things left we've got to do this we got to do this where are you guys on it and it was fascinating where everybody just saw her take that host role and they just said, all right, we're in. Like, there wasn't resistance. It was it was amazing to me that it, it only took really one person to shift the tide, to opt in, to to, to take yeah. the, the bite and say, do it. And then everybody followed suit. It was incredible. But that's the power of a good host, Robbie. Yeah. I mean, a good host is someone who stands up and says, I, I want to have this party. Who wants to come? Yes. And, and that's so different to everyone sitting around thinking, well, it'd be kind of neat to have that party, but I was, how, do we do, how do we go about it? <laughs> and, and if somebody stands up and says, right, I want to do this, who's with me? Now we have a different relationship. Yes. Yeah. So this is the, the point about the host being the first totally. in my old Arab proverb. The yes. host being the first is the one who stands up and says, right, you know, let's move it. And we call that the initiator role in the book. Um, and then as people get involved and engaged, the host's role moves to other things like um, uh, connecting people together, for example, and uh, creating a great space for these things to happen. It's one of the things that hosts always look at is how, how, what is the space I'm offering to do this? And, and how does it support what I want to have happen? And I am struck so much by... Um, when you talk to people who are having parties, they wouldn't dream of not arranging the furniture and putting some music on and, you know, lights and everything. But if you look at people's workplaces, often they haven't changed in decades. Um, or they've moved the partitions around or something dreadful. And, uh, and, and the, the environment doesn't support the thing you want. And yet it's actually so easy to change it once you figure out how important the environment is. Mm. So I think good hosts and good host leaders are also very aware of environment and how the environment can have a big impact on what's happening and get the environment supporting what they want rather than getting in the way. Um, and I think there's a whole there's a whole way of organizing modern offices and, and where, where you are out there in California. People are much more on this now than in some other parts of the world, I think. But I'm sure even there, there's there's better and worse spaces uh, to uh, to be seen in, in workplaces. Yes. Yes. Wow. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I know that there's there we can't go into everything in the book, the, the roles, the the modalities you go into are fantastic. My class loved them. It was interesting too, to, um, cause on the final I tested them on, uh, memorizing them. And wow. I, and it was interesting because a lot of them forgot one and it was so telling which one they forgot because I said, I, I think I may have even said it to them that I said, you know, that's the role you forgot to play at the party. Like that one when, for example, the connector, you know, I said, you've got this business lead that was sitting there by themselves talking to nobody and didn't know anybody there. And they just sat there and you didn't take the connector role. Um, so it was interesting to see which ones fell off. That's interesting, isn't it? Because it's one of the things that everyone agrees. When I ask people in my workshops, well, so what does a good host do? Uh, all the time I get, oh, they introduce people to each other. Mm. That's right. But then in work, there's something that sets in and it's a kind of, I think it's the scarcity mentality mm -hmm. that says, if I know the people and the other ones don't, then I have more power in this. 
it's kind of old-fashioned thinking these days because now everyone can connect with everybody all the time. Yeah. Um, so, so actually connecting people, particularly within your team, um, is a really great way of opening the gates to all sorts of interesting connections, interactions, possibilities um, for free, effectively. All you have to do is a few moments of getting people together uh, and let them know that they have something to talk about. Uh, it's a really, really highly leveraged move for a leader's time. So, folks, if you're listening to this, think about who are the two people who you know who don't know each other, but there would be some really amazing stuff to come if they did. And then why don't you just take a moment to get them in touch with each other somehow? Mm. Uh, you, you won't regret it, and they will thank you very probably afterwards. Nice. Nice. So t- so tell me, what... Um... You know, you're always you're always talking about such such amazing things and looking at amazing things. What's holding your fascination right now, or just one glimpse of your fascination? <laughs> Gosh, well, it's it's uh, I'm getting all sorts of people coming to talk about um, host talk to me about host leadership, Robbie. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that uh, is really popping up at the moment for them is how to work. Uh, in these new kinds of organizations. Mm. Uh, people may be familiar with um, Frederick Laloux's book, Reinventing Organizations. Right. I know very keen on that stuff. And, and other these new ways like holacracy of organizing uh, in self-organizing ways. And I think that there's a, um, a lot of interesting stuff emerging there, but some of it's, some of it's kind of messy. Um, and... I think there are simple things we can do with hosting where you get a lot of the benefit of those self-organizing methods, but without a lot of the confusion and the pain. Mm. So I'm seeing host leadership as a kind of good first step in the direction of these much more fluid organizations. But you don't have to go the whole way with some of the more extreme ideas. You can start having host leaders through your organization. Uh, and see see what happens. So what's something somebody can do, like after this podcast, they hear it, and then they go do what next to experiment with this? Well, the thing is, folks, start thinking of yourself as a host. You you know what it's like to when you organize a party. Think about your project or your team or whatever as if it was a party. And you've probably got some people there already, um, but do they know what kind of party it is? Do they know what you want? Are they, do they, are they bought in? Are they invited? Have they accepted a role in this? Mm. Um, so start, so just think about, if I was a host, what would I do next? That's the most powerful thing. You don't have to be a host to be a host leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to think like a host. That's where the power comes from. Yeah. Uh, and I would be, uh, and just see what comes to your mind and then go do it and notice what happens and notice the response you get. Uh, because people, hosting is a very social and cultural thing, and people know how to respond to good hosts most mm. of the time. And so I would predict that you would see some response pretty quickly. It may not be large, but there'll be some useful kind of response, uh, whether that's connecting people up together, sorting out the space a bit, uh, inviting people with a more coherent and uh, compelling offer and, and to engaging in, in what's going on. Uh, all of these, all of these things uh, can be good, but the metaphor, in a way, this is why host leadership as a metaphor is so powerful, Robbie. In those two words, host leadership, 
in some way, that sums up the whole piece. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, we can explore all sorts of things about what hosts do and so on. Um, but, but because it's a metaphor, we already understand it at minute one. Whereas if it's sort of called something like, I don't know, situational leadership or transformational leadership, that's just a title. Mm. And we're now going to have to learn what that's about. Right. Whereas host leadership, um, we already know. It, 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 it engages something we already know how to do, but we never thought of. Yeah. So many people find a kind of real instant, oh, that sounds good. Yeah, yeah, I, I want to do that. Or I think I'm doing some of that already. What more can I do? I get this response all the time, hmm. which is fabulous and exciting. That's great. I love that idea that you're that you're talking about about tapping into something we already know. It's it's like it's in our DNA or it's in our genes, and it's, it's, in it's our, certainly in our cultural DNA. Cultural DNA, DNA, yeah, yeah. And it's and hosting is a very interactional process. You know, you can't be a host without guests. So you have to if you start thinking of the other people as your guests. That's that's a that's another good start. If I'm going to be the host, then who are the guests? Yeah. And if they were my guests, what would I be doing now to help to make this a more fruitful um, in- event? How how much did you research the nature of paradox to do this? Because the idea of I have to do everything versus uh, um, other people help. You know, I have I I step in versus step back. Um, all these are, are essentially paradoxes. Where yeah. it's you know, and so did you need to study the nature of paradox to get this? Well, I had already done a bit of studying in the nature of paradox years ago when I was researching some things coming out of systemic and family therapy where mm. they did about paradoxes. But, but you're right. The host role is a paradox, but it's one that we already know. So the host is both above their guests, in other words, in charge of them and responsible for them. Yeah. So if you're a guest of someone, you, um, you're, you're, you're made safe by them. When you invite people into your house, you are responsible for their safety. So you're above them, and also you're below them, because you're serving them, and you're making sure they have what they need, uh, what they need, and, and, and looking after them. So you're at one point both above your guests and below them, which, uh, which when you say it like that, sounds really odd, except that we kind of all know it already. Um, and that's the biggest paradox of all, I think. How can you be above someone and below them all at once? Yes. And that blows the idea of hierarchy uh, into several pieces, I think. And if we start thinking in those terms, you get a very different kind of organization and a very different feel to the culture of an organization. Yeah. Do you have a psych background at all? Psych. You mean psychology? Psychology, yeah, that's what we... It was kind of, yes. I, in one of my previous books uh, was uh, about bringing solution-focused therapy into the coaching and management world. So I trained to be a vision fit uh, about 20 years ago. And uh, so I've been hanging around in that sort of space for a while. Um, um, but solution-focused work uh, is, uh, is a very, very kind of pragmatic and action-oriented um, form of therapy. It's very crunchy. It's very, very down-to-earth. Yeah. It's very short. <laughs> I wonder because I, 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 I've been seeing – I don't know if you've seen these books recently. I, I really like looking at book trends. On, the, on the, one of the last podcasts, I talked about this membership economy and automatic customer and recurring revenue. It's all these books coming out about subscription and membership models, and that, that was interesting. And what I'm seeing now, it's not, it's not prevalent, but it's just, huh, I'm starting to see a trend, is books about 
like the positive aspects of psychopaths. Have you seen these? <laughs> there's books about the positive aspects of almost everything out. Oh yeah, there's like about like there's one about the positive on on how to be messy. It's like being messy is great. You need to be more messy. I'm like, "Oh my god, there really is a book for everything on <laughs> Yes, yes, and and I think that um we're becoming more aware now that it's not just a question of this is good, that's bad. Yeah. Right? Um, and this is part of the contextual nature of leadership that I was speaking about earlier. It's not about what do you do and what don't you do, which would be rules. It's about how do I make use of the messy situation that I'm in or that <laughs> I'm in front of or that I'm involved with. And right. I say messy not in, a, not in a castigating way, just that life is a confusing and complex place. And so if, it's, if it looks totally clear, you may not have understood it properly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, so, but we have to engage with what we find. And generally speaking, there are useful aspects to most things, which is not to say that they're all completely wonderful, etc. But, but it turns out, Psychopaths, there's a very interesting book by John Ronson, British uh, journalist and writer, um, about called the psychopath test i think if people yes. have read that they might enjoy it uh, he investigated this this psychological questionnaire to tell if people were psychopaths or not and then discovered that uh, large numbers of people right at the top of very large corporations passed this test because uh, it's about making very very firm decisions and not being socially troubled by the consequences of them totally basically. and uh, and it turns out that being being a top executive uh, being a psychopath is not a bad thing if if that's what you want to do now there are lots of downsides to it and i'm not telling people to be psychopathic and i think one of the things that host leadership does is offer people a, a humane leadership model that nonetheless can be effective you know so it's not just about being nice to people but um because hosts sometimes throw people you know throw throw out the gate crashes from the party yes that needs to happen sometimes and that's the host's job sometimes so it can, you know, tough decisions are part of the hosting thing. But, it's, but it is nonetheless a humane way of working. And another trend I'm aware of right now is that as the young, younger people who are coming into the workplace, they want a different style of leading, yeah. I think. Um, you know, whereas I'm in now in my 50s, when I started, people were very keen on hierarchies and lots of, you know, ranks and roles and jobs and... Uh, and so forth, and of course that's breaking down now. We all know that, but I think that people are, de- the younger people are demanding a new sort of leadership, and and if they don't get it, they're going to go elsewhere. Yeah, uh, and that's another thing that's changed uh, a lot. People used to get a job and kind of try and stick with it, but these days, I have people more and more. You know, Eighteen months, two years, time I was moving on here, and uh, people keep moving and keep moving in ways they didn't used to. Yeah. A Ago. What I'm what I'm amused about with one of the stories I hear from from this incoming generation is is like how brazen they are about this because it's it's you know I've changed jobs I've left I've felt like things don't work but what I've heard that they've been doing is is they just do it you know I just heard a story yesterday that was about a woman who like she's it's her first job and she got a um uh a, an office. And so after lunch, she closes the door, puts a sticky note on the door, and says, I'm napping. Um, you know, and just 
just does that. No, no, no sense of like, should I, should I not? Or maybe I should ask permission or maybe somebody's going to, you know, really not be cool with this. They just do it. Yeah. And, uh, and shamelessly and fearlessly. <laughs> and uh, I think that the, what this means is that the quality of leadership in your organization is going to become even more of a factor in attracting talent. Because if they don't find the kind of environment that, that they find humane and sustaining and nourishing, they're going to go. Um, so this is going to make leadership an even bigger and more important uh, piece of the equation about successful organizations over the next 10 years, I predict. Do you think that those organizations are going to need to actually start teaching professionalism? Because there, there was never an issue of that before. Like maybe we should have a discussion about whether you close your door and take a nap or not. Like you know, it's just it was. I, I don't think it even came up in a lot of ways. You like professionalism was just assumed, and you would kind of polish the edges and say, "Oh, you know what? You really need to get back to that client within 24 hours," and you you you'd figure it out that way. But it seems like the way things are going, there's there's almost got to be either classes or an onboarding or something that actually either yeah. teaches professionalism. Or, like, there's something that's going to replace it. I don't know. Yes, it's an interesting question, Robbie. I mean, I'm working here in organizations with kind of 20-somethings. Uh-huh. And, and, and there's a, a real mix. A few of them, I find, really have professionalism. And they get it right down. And they kind of, you know, if we're talking about getting back to people quickly and responding and, and being, uh, being proactive yeah. uh, and, and making their own decisions. Um, and so it's not, I think, that the whole generation is forgetting it, but there's a kind of variability out there. And maybe that, I think, I think absolutely, there could be an, an example for, for teaching this because people just simply don't know it. And there's an example for when you're leading in an organization like that. It's like when you're inviting people to your party. You say, and here are the ground rules. Mm-hmm. You know, you're coming to, to my event, this is, this is the way we do things around here. And I think as the host, you, you know, one of the things... All hosts are entitled to do is have house rules. It kind of goes with the territory. And so as, as leaders, whatever level we're at, and that's anything from the kind of very lowest team leader right up through the, the executive suite, you know, what are your house rules? How do you let people know gently that these are, these are the ways we do things around here and, and you know, it's not a choice? Um, and, of course, there's also lots of flexibility about other things. But I think this, thinking about this idea of your own house rules yeah. and helping people join in with that. So it's not about having a list of them and, in, in, you know, beating people over the head if they don't do it. It's about how do we make this the norm? How do we encourage people into thinking of this is the routine way we work around here? And yeah. that's, uh, that's how we do it. And I had one of my great learnings as an you know, up-and-coming leader was a, a guy who came into the I was working in a nuclear power utility uh, as a physicist and then as a strategic planner. And we had a new head of strategic planning who came from outside who suddenly showed me that you can have an effective meeting in 15 minutes. Um, whereas my predecessors who'd grown up in the, in the business thought effective meetings, the longer a meeting was, <laughs> effective it was. So all meetings were scheduled for three hours. Oh my God. And, uh, and this guy, this is decades ago now, but this guy came in and suddenly saw how you could have a 15 minute meeting, do something and get on with it. And I thought, whoa, I never knew that. And of course I was, I was hooked. And, um, those were his house rules. Um, and he had a very nice, a very nice and light and firm way of, um, you know, making us play with them. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I think, you know, 
one of the most troubling questions I ask clients that not it's troubling for them because they just realize they never even thought about it or know it is I say, tell me what's a fireable offense in your company. And they don't know. And it's just like, whoa. And, and um, you know, I, the core values process helps with that a lot. I, I talk about that in my book, The Culture Blueprint and Zappos. It was clear. You clearly violate a core value. That's fireable. Um, but, you know, they, they, they couldn't even just name one thing that was, that was clear. If you do this, you're out the door because there was so much politics and leniency around, oh, well, this guy's a star performer, so they can get away with this, this, or that, but this person can't, but this person can. Um, and they're, because it's like what you said, if there's not rules to a game, if there's not rules to a host saying, you know, if you do this, you're out of the party, um, people don't know. So one way of thinking about it, Robbie, is, is well, we've talked about rules, um, but people might like to think of them as more like routines than rules. Huh. And the thing about routine is that if people violate it, they haven't broken a rule. They just haven't done it quite right yet, and we need to gently show them. And I was working in uh, Finland a couple of weeks ago, running a host leadership workshop, and I, I I walked into the to the place on the first day and unpacked all my stuff and sat down and was ready for. And thirty people came into the room, and I suddenly noticed that they were all in their socks, and I was in my great clumping, you know, lovely Australian cowboy boots and uh this place i was in had a house rule that you take your shoes off um but because i was the guest speaker they hadn't told me about it <laughs> but everybody else knew because in finland it's very common because it's it's snowy and slushy a lot of the year and you don't want to tread you know the the the, the water and the forest as they say into the house so so i felt a bit embarrassed and so i kind of had to i rushed off and took my shoes off as well and and we, and we were fine um uh, so, so there is, it's a powerful thing, um, treating things as routines. And, and, and so I just, I, I learned the routine. The routine is you come in, you take your shoes off and on you go. And, um, so routines we learn. Uh, so mm. rules have to be enforced, but routines we learn and it's uh, natural to learn a routine. And I think that's a really helpful distinction. That is, it's very learn helpful. The routines like you get back to your you know, your, your clients within 24 hours or, or whatever it is, that's the routine. And some people may take a little longer to learn it than others, but that's the routine. Totally. And so let's think about what routines would be really useful um, in our own workplaces and start to maybe think about them in those terms and help people to understand, understand them that, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's the routine. It's how we do things in this house. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. We gotta we gotta wrap this up. What? Um, where can people learn more? Well, um, I, we have a website, um, hostleadership.com, dot mm -hmm. expanding set of blogs and things. There are also lots of details about the book, uh, which is called Host uh, by Mark McCurgo and Helen Bailey. Host six new roles of engagement. It's on Amazon and in Kindle edition as well, so you can download it right away. And um, it's right at the start of this of a thing, Robbie. I think you're absolutely right when you were talking at the beginning. Um, we're starting to get some interest and traction now, and people are beginning to to put host leadership, you know, maybe alongside some of these other things. Yes. But it's so early days, and so if you want to be the first in your in your town or in your area to be talking about this, then this is a great moment. We also have a LinkedIn group. If you're on LinkedIn, come and join the host leadership group on LinkedIn. Um, just search host leadership in LinkedIn and you'll find it. And uh, that's a great way to uh, you know, keep up with 
what's emerging and so forth. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast, Mark. It's my pleasure, Robbie. Great to be with you. Awesome. Great. Stay tuned for next episode. Thanks, as always, for listening. Bye.